Topia, Jeremy Vanny here. Yeah, Jeff Ritzman here. That was your cue. Yeah, I know. And we have with you tonight um, a man who will probably be the guy that we quote for the next year and a half, like we've done with Hanson and McKenna and Streber. That man's name is Bruce Denzing. At least I think it is. I always mispronounce it. <laughs> yes. Bruce! Uh, Anyway, his website is Intangible Materiality, uh, which is actually intangiblematerialityblogspot.com. Try saying that ten times fast. Intangiblematerialityblogspot.com. Uh, he is our guest. He uh, is what you would call a deep thinker where this UFO business is concerned. Um, I think he, for me, he kind of fills in the gaps with the trickster stuff and the talking about how this thing sort of is in a symbiotic relationship with us, writing its story based on our cultural scripts, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I found the, the conversation fascinating. I know Jeff, of course, did. Oh, yeah. I think it's one of the most brilliant ones we've had. I mean, next to Jacques Vallée and Colin Andrews. I mean, I would rank this up there. Equally as high, Bruce is a brilliant guy, and um, and and has a hell of a lot to offer that you've probably not run across before. I think these are, um, or he is one of the original thinkers for this stuff, and um, and obviously has put a hell of a lot of thought into it. So, yeah, great, 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 great interview, great show. I want to mention um, before we get to Bruce, last week's episode, uh, Richard Miller had mentioned. Uh, the fact that uh, giant pharmaceutical corporations uh, don't generally sell herbal remedies and that sort of thing. Um, and he had his reasons why. And I actually I got a call from a lawyer <laughs> oh. uh, who said that uh, she has actually uh, studied this and that there is a real concrete reason. It's not some liberal conspiracy that, that I would concoct. And I, I guess, you know, sort of the, the theory out there is that if pharmaceuticals can cure you of 90% of your illness, then you've still got 10% of your illness that they can then sell you another cure for that has that 90-10 ratio. Uh, You know, it has side effects. And then they'll sell you another product to cure those side effects. It's kind of like fractal economics, (laughs) right? It's just 90-10, And while that may be happening, um, as far as the herbal remedies go, I just thought this was a, a, a point of interest for people. They legally cannot do it because you can't trademark a natural product. Uh, and in fact, when they did try to do that with some sort of um, cure-all from India, uh, the villagers were like, how dare you take our natural cure-all that has been with us for hundreds of years <laughs> yeah. and try to sell it to us. And so there was a giant lawsuit. And basically, by international law, corporations cannot trademark herbal remedies and, and that sort of thing. So – there's actually, you cannot trademark a plant, actually, is 
It, there was a guy, who, and it was so bizarre that you're bringing this up because I had no idea you were going to talk about this. But um, you know, we had that uh, that great video with Terrence McKenna posted on the um, on the board today, and I watched it. And that's one of the things he brings up is that some guy, some corporate guy, was trying to trademark uh, ayahuasca. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and uh, the native peoples took him to task for it, and they threw out the um, the, the trademark uh, and, and patent for it, and all of that. You cannot patent or trademark a plant, which is go. really kind of interesting. So, lastly, before we get to Bruce, I think um, we should address one little thing, which is that this has been a great week for sanity, as far as I'm concerned. Wow! Yeah. Um. You know, we've said that we kind of want to be done with the hypnosis thing and Carol Rainey and Emma Woods. Not that we want to be done with them, but that we're just sick of constantly having to bring it up and defend points and all that stuff. Um, and one of the arch debunkers uh, on, on a message board who's been at it for months against Emma and then Carol outed himself as a liar because he'd gone too far and claimed that he knew who Carol Rainey was. He knew what her motives were. And on down the line of nonsense. And, of course, she knew exactly who he was. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, because, uh, I mean, not to overplay this or anything or overexplain it, but, I mean, basically, Carol wrote this guy and said, you know, I do know who you are. Uh, you, you had come down to fix a pipe in my apartment. I, I s- saw you for all of about five to ten minutes, and I think we exchanged hellos. <laughs> that was the extent of it. Uh, you know, and at that point, you know, I get. I'm guessing. I mean, one can't know someone else's mind, but I'm guessing at that point he said, "Oh, well, then she's she knows who I am, and therefore now I've got to be honest about what the real story is, and not that I know her motives and I know her intentions and I know her so well. We spent all this time together. That wasn't the fact. And once he knew, she knew. End of story. Yeah. Then it was a complete turnaround. Right. And then there is this dude who wrote a 166-page illiterate hit piece that was so illiterate. <laughs> I just I, I got to use that word because it was. He didn't even spell Jeff's name correctly. That a week <laughs> later he had to retract it and uh, uh, and use a spell check on it and then <laughs> and then put it back out. Uh, so it's 166 pages vilifying us and and trying to tear apart Carol's article on Bud, uh, which. Was, it seems like overkill. <laughs> well, and apparently, pages. and apparently, I'm a liar because I have an opinion. Well, that this is the thing. I mean, it's silly. It's one of those things where a person puts out a 166 page hit piece, and the people who want to believe we're evil or whatever go, uh, "Yeah, great job. That was really good work." And meanwhile, it's terrible work. And then he, and then of course he, you know, basks in in the glow of that and says. Uh, well, you know, they should defend themselves. If they want to defend themselves, they can. And the fact is, there's nothing to defend because the premise is faulty and half the stuff is like he cannot tell the difference between a lie, an opinion, a fact, and he just uses this giant hyperbole as though it is the case. Uh, And it would be very easy to shred. Uh, Unfortunately, to do so online, um, on a forum or something, going down piece by piece can go on forever. And in the process of that, this guy's making a name for himself off of the fact that we're arguing with him. So we don't want to do that. But what we did do was invite him on the show, because if you come on the show and you debate us, um, it's got a finality to it, right? There's a finite time and a discussion. 
Somebody wins, somebody goes home with their tail between their legs. And it's in public, which means if we step all over his toes when he's trying to talk or interrupt him, everybody would call us out on that, of course. So that's like the ultimate in honesty and and open debate to do it publicly on something like this. Well, yeah, and I also in the email said you can have your choice of whoever you think you could win against. It doesn't have to be both of us ganging up on you. You can only debate me or only debate Jeff. Doesn't matter. Let's debate your facts. Let's put it. To the test, and his demeanor completely changed to, hello, sir, how are you, sir, good day, sir, and eventually, no thanks, sir. Right. Uh, Because that's what cowards and liars do. (laughs) So, there you go. So, that's two (sighs) down as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Good week. (laughs) Well, and I I think we have to go uh, further than this in that I, you know, I gave Jeremy a call. In the middle of the day, which is a little unusual for me to call Jeremy at one o'clock in the afternoon or two, you know, I'm down downstairs at work, and I said, you know what, you know, this just occurred to me, and I'm I'm completely worn out from, you know, having my jaw hit the floor at just insanity and ridiculousness that has erupted from this, and so I think the answer is to. Leave it as it sets. I mean, a- as it stands right now, for me at least, the two big uh, mouthpieces in this are now irrelevant as far as I'm concerned, as if they ever were relevant. Sadly for me, this whole thing has has de-evolved from the notion of the methodology used to study abduction accounts, the hypnotic regression issue. Uh, all of, rather than that being discussed by the opposition, what's being discussed is is that we're hateful, uh, we're going after a man who's sick, so on and so forth. And again, if people would read the freaking magazine in the very end of it, which people, all our listeners have read this, you know, I, I've already said this is not personal against Bud or David Jacobs. This is about the methods, the issue, the 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 tool. So on and so forth, and um, and certainly, I mean, I, I'm sure at this point I speak for Jeremy that that you know, as far as Bud goes, timing is everything. Yeah, it's it's a hard time for him. I'm very sorry that he's sick. I'm sorry that um, you know, for whatever he's going through, and I wish him the best of luck with that. That doesn't that is not an excuse for everybody to shut up. Because yeah, the real timing you know, is that Emma Woods affected yeah. Carol Rainey in such a way. That she decided to speak up. That's the timing. The timing Correct. is the Emma Woods David Jacobs scandal. Right. Not Bud Hopkins is sick, let's get him. I mean, that's just that, that that is so that is so ridiculous and patently false that it's actually sick of these people to make those claims against us. Well, yeah. To vilify yeah. us and to use his illness against us yeah, is just is absolutely crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. And and so the end game here for us <laughs> is um no more. We're done. If you have a problem with us or you have a problem with the show, and this goes for anyone listening, this goes for anybody in the UFO field at all who has a problem with what data has been discussed from Lillenfeld on up, um, you are welcome to write us at paratopiapodcast at gmail.com. Come on this show, and we will have a reasonable discussion about it. Um, frankly, I'm tired of reading all this stuff and, and and we have told our friends and we've told other people unless there's something really uh, uh, there's some major discovery or there's some major um, I don't know uh, revelation in this that we don't want to be emailed about it <laughs> 
because for me, and I'm speaking only for me, Jeremy may feel differently. For me, this is a dead issue. I'm done. I mean, I think I think we lucked out in the number of people who came forward after Scott Lillenfeld came on the show. Um, I said this before, that wasn't planned. Uh, but I think things just fell into place in such a way that we went from point A to point Z. <laughs> and it seems evident to me, self-evident, that this is a, not a matter of opinion. The technique has not been good. The, uh, the, the research doesn't seem to hold up. The, uh, there are many suspect things about it. And so now let's reevaluate how we, how we look at this. And that's where we want to we wanna go with this. But we don't even want to entertain any kind of online discussion with anybody. You want to talk about it. You want to debate or argue with us about it. Come on the show. Yeah, it's that simple. So that's it. And please do us a favor, listeners. If you see this come up on message boards or, or in conversation on other shows um, where people are bad-mouthing us or Carol or Emma in the vein of this show uh, or the magazine, um, let them know that we've got an open-door policy. And so if you really want your questions answered and you really want to put your data to the test, come on the show. Put up or shut up. If not, you're a coward. You've had your chance. And all you're doing is talking amongst your friends and bad-mouthing people and blah, blah, blah. And that gets us nowhere. So if right. you honestly have any integrity at all and you believe in what you're saying beyond trying to vilify us to promote your favorite sacred cow or whatever it is you're doing, trying to make a name for yourself, trying to uh, reboot your show off of a fake war with our show, whatever <laughs> your motive is, those motives are over. You've got an open invitation to come on this show, debate both of us, debate only one of us, or just plain old have a discussion. doesn't even have to be a debate. Right. Open door policy. You don't want it? Then shut up about us. The end. Well, and here's, here's what I'll offer. And I haven't even asked Jeremy about this yet, but here's what I'll offer. If this happens and if someone does uh, take us up on that uh, at any point from here on out, from here till we're done, <laughs> um, we won't even put that up as a regular show. That'll be a special free show. The whole damn thing. Um, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Because I'm that'll totally be the thing not interested. Say right, you're trying to yeah. make money off us. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally not interested in making this about anything. This will be out in the open, free, and that's it. Um, so, so there's no need to, uh, you know, to to think anybody's trying any kind of, I don't know. Yeah, we won't ulterior motive yeah, here. We won't edit you to make you sound ridiculous. We won't have an after chat where we discuss what a douche you are. We'll <laughs> no. Just, We'll just put it out there. It'll be free. That's terrible. It'll be yeah. free. It won't even be our show. It'll be a midweek thing. It doesn't matter. The, the, the parameters of that doesn't doesn't matter. The point yeah. is, it's all on you now. Whoever you are out there who wants to badmouth us, come on the show. Right. The end. Guarantee yeah. you nobody's going to take us up on it. Yeah, well. Uh, Let them try. Be, be that as it may, <laughs> uh, you know, it's that's it. And so, uh, you know, I think... I think that the past couple of shows, this one, the one before with uh, Mr. Miller and uh, what's coming up next week are all great shows and going in a different direction. And um, I, I feel somewhat re reinvigorated about it as I'm sure as anybody would guess, you know, this kind of thing can ugh, just wear on you after you've dealt personally with these people and you've talked personally about a, about any situation in this. You know, to have, to have all these peripheral people um, just kind of show up at the 11th hour 
with complaints about or you know uh, twisting what you said. I mean, all that really, really grates on um, keeping on track of it. Keep, keeping you know who's who and what's. I'm, I'm yeah, done with that. I, I, that is not what I'm only, in this for. You know, you that's know? only grating on my nerves up until this moment because at this moment I am now relieved of the burden of ever having to read anything because the answer again is. Come on this show. That's the only answer. And so, again, if you see this stuff being written about us and you and you feel like it, just say, well, you can go on their show and otherwise shut up. I mean, I really think people should start saying that, you know, go on their shit or get off the pot. Go on their show and say it to their faces or shut up. I mean, that's the answer. Yeah. So I feel well, like that's now the, I don't ever have called. to pay attention to the nonsense again. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'll read like a Bud Hopkins rebuttal. Or a David Jacobs rebuttal because those are important. Sure. But other than that, any of these no name entities or these you know has beens, I don't care anymore. Yeah. No. So that's that's it. So let's let's wrap this part of it up. Uh, I Enough mean, anger. Breathe out the bad. Breathe in the good. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 if I can say this, uh, you know, in closing this out, um, I think we presented a decent case. I think that uh, it, it becomes self evident at some point. And unfortunately, I mean, at least for my part of this, and Jeremy is is always on our message board talking to listeners, but I apologize to what listeners, um, you know, that I haven't got to respond to on message boards just because I've been off in um, in conflict land, which, uh, you know, that's that's done. So, uh, you know, again, if anybody wants to reach us, the, the message board is a good place. The email is a good place because um, that's where we're going to be. Because <laughs> I think that's what's important is the you know the people that um, are listening to this show to get more information about this, the the topics they want to hear about. So um, so yeah, that's that's it for us, and um, and and that's really the, the end of the story. So moving onward, on with Bruce Duenzing. Paratopia. Without further ado, please welcome to the program, Mister Bruce Duenzing. Bruce, thank you very much for coming on the show. Well, thank you. Uh, now, we don't really deal in ufology too much anymore, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> but you certainly have an interesting website, and you certainly have an interesting take on UFOs and I think paranormal phenomena in general. Um, so it's definitely worth speaking to you, especially since you're, what, leaving? Are you? Is this correct? You're, you're leaving the field? Um, I think I needed a break from it. Mm -hmm. I think uh, immersion in something... For too long a period, you tend to lose your perspective, and I think that it's it's just a uh, if you will a cycle, where I think that uh, getting away from it from a little bit and not doing anything sort of opens up other possibilities. It's kind of like constantly talking, and then you just kind of if you're quiet, uh, things come to you, you know, mm -hmm. different well, ideas, different concepts. When you were first um, looking into UFOs and the such, uh, did you have um, sort of a materialist perspective going into it that you came out of, or did you always think that it was about consciousness and about things other than, for instance, the ETH, nuts and bolts type scenario? Right. No, I always thought it was uh, directly tied to consciousness, which in turn is connected to everything else. So. I, don't, I think a demarcation or a file cabinet of kind of like each bit of phenomena or a locus of manifestation as an existential reality, 
unto itself is sort of a, you know, kind of a false flag. Mm -hmm. Well, when you say it's about consciousness, what does that mean to you? Well, what it means is that we're immersed in language, and that oftentimes language supersedes reality, and also that uh, language can suggest, and in turn we can auto-suggest to ourselves. When we look at where we're at, we live in a non-human environment, um, which creates uh, pre-existing conditions, and that uh, when you look at, for example, um, UFOs, that's a very good example, where they're, they're really more involved in uh, a visual language versus a verbal language, if you will. Mm -hmm. Do you see it related to alien abductions, or do you keep them separate? I don't keep them separate. I think the uh, I don't. I think the the most general broad statement that could be made is uh, I think the word abduction, for one thing, is a good example of what I was referring to earlier about terminology superseding reality in that um, the abduction phenomenon to me is one where, number one, we don't really know what the abduction phenomenon is, and I, I think terming it an abduction is sort of an error, if you will. An error? Well, okay, I'll just ask you why. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I think, I think if you look at the UFO phenomenon, and uh, like, for example, in that recent book, uh, wonders in the sky, you can see that there's all sort of long-term over the centuries metamorphosis of visual, uh, if you will, anomalies that metamorphosize uh, continually depending on their cultural context. And so you have an external world and an inner world, and between the two is kind of where we live. And so you have the same sort of if you will, viral deconstruction or recombinant phenomenon happening internally in quote-unquote experiencers that you really have uh, on the outer side of that membrane, you know. So it's really, it's really one versus the other, and I think to categorize them as sort of a quasi-empirical reality uh, seems to be a fundamental error. In terms of how this phenomena presents itself, um, do you think we can draw any distinctions between uh, how we're perceiving it and how it's um, sending its signal to be perceived? I think what it is, uh, to put it simply, is the relationship between the observer and the observed is changing. And... In a sense, it's a process. It isn't really, if you will, something we could point to and isolate it from its context. And a great deal of uh, labels that are applied to it are really beside the point. I think what it is is that, in a sense, we have a phenomenon that is parasitic in nature. In other words, it borrows from us, which we in turn... Uh, if you will, uh, borrow memories, semiotics, uh, uh, cybernetics, self-referential languages, 
from our environment. We're a product of nature, and I don't think uh, we're some sort of existential uh, reality unto ourselves. And so the phenomenon in of itself, I think, uh, represents a form of proactive monitoring in some sense. Now, whether this is a natural phenomenon that results from the nature of consciousness itself, a parallel stream of, of recombinant uh, relationships, or is it something of another uh, intelligence keeping an eye on what's going on without having any vested interest in it? Well, what, what do you think it would get out of keeping an eye on us? And then, I, I guess, um, even going by Wonders in the Sky, it seems though it's doing more than keeping an eye on. It seems it's sort of, in its interactions, it's definitely at least having an effect on on us, if not um, right. purposely. Well, I think the effect could be a poor... I don't think you can separate them. I think the effects are part of the monitoring process. It's a success. In other words... I think the interest is is comparative relationships. In other words, you have one form of intelligence in the way that it's manifested within nature versus ours, which is, if you will, um, differentiated through the nature of the planet we live on. And in order to discover what that relationship is, take some probing that you can't just simply observe something and no, it's nature. I mean, that would be maybe the high point of egotism, <laughs> you know, which happens a lot. Uh, but I think that uh, it's a proactive monitoring. It, it's sort of neither A nor B, but A B. Well, but do you again, think it's growing it's us nature. in some way, or it's or it's steering us in some way? I I, I think it's uh, somebody once said. I think it was Greg Bishop said it was a decompre- uh, deconstructive process. Where I think, uh, I think he's correct, but I think it's a recombinant process. In other words, it presents semiotic images in a unique arrangement that, yes, it does deconstruct the basis of language, but in another sense, it also, uh, uh, if you will, takes that set of cards we have on the table, throws them up, and makes it uh, a provocation where we look at the arrangement of those cards, and then begin exploring other possibilities. And then it studies the effects in turn. In other words, what is the nature of human sentience? What is it? What does it come from? What, what are its qualities? What are the, um, if you will, systems within it that operate it? Almost like a computer program or, you know, a desktop or a laptop. There's, so, there's a bunch of parallel processing programs going on that somebody from the outside who is non-human, who has absolutely no concept, I think there's this sort of uh, inferred um, meaning or, or, or definition of an extraterrestrial as being omniscient, where Really, I think uh, it's ridiculous. It comes from a sort of the concept that's 2,000 years old of a monarchical universe, you know, where there's perfection on the other side. Mm. <laughs> you know? so, so what do you put into that stew? Uh, or is there anything that you don't put into that stew? I mean, you know, in terms of uh, other phenomena, Bigfoot or even, even contactees from the contactee movement, I mean, what would not be a part of this? 
I, I don't think there's anything that's not part of it. I don't. I think you know we we tend to be toolmakers. We tend to take knowledge and utilize it to do something with it. And in a sense, we're looking for utility in these things. We're looking for purpose. And then again, what is purpose in of itself? I think a lot of these uh, different manifestations of consciousness um, tend to be the diversification of of consciousness itself. In other words, like I, I've often thought that EVPs, in a sense, uh, um, are, if you will, recordings uh, that we create. That that we send a signal out, and in a sense, we live in a mirrored universe. That's why I always go back and forth between: is this a natural phenomenon that the paranormal? represents an unknown nature of that, or is it, if you will, other intelligences operating, uh, if you will, outside of uh, our perception? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you read Filer's Files, but uh, Jeff had brought up this one case a couple of weeks back uh, where a man was confronted, I think, on his lawn with somebody in a cape who kind of mm -hmm. sort of, you know, had it was misshapen for a human, let's say wearing a cape and the guy, you know, I think brought a gun to the door and, and the creature or whatever the being said, uh, I'm not, which I'm you, I'm not, which I'm you and mirrored his movements. So if you put the gun up to his face, it would put the gun up, it would move, it would mirror whatever he was doing. And then eventually it just ambled off. Um, is, is, do you think that's almost literally what you're talking about? Uh, in a sense, I think, you know, we all have semiotic conceptual models of what our reality consists of. And it, in a way, in a sense, in a very deep sense, it, it comes into uh, structures that comprise consciousness. If we're a really good example, that is what they used to call false personality or I, where personality has a reality unto itself or that we're all separated and so individuated that there's no relationships between individuals and you can take that further in a more global sense to the nature of nature itself in other words um, you know I don't think you can separate the context from uh, the observer and the observed it's a you know it's a relationship and I think that uh, uh, a lot of what's going on has to do um, with a fluid dynamic. It's like we're never the same way twice, so we have the illusion of that. And a great deal of this uh, phenomenon, various phenomenon, are equally fluid. In other words, it changes. It's never, if you will, a, a repetitive pattern, which makes it so difficult to uh, investigate. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess this sort of goes back to one of my original questions, but do you think it's growing us towards something, or do you think that we need to grow out of, for instance, rational reductionist materialism to be able to have a, a handle on what's going on here? I think, I think what's going on is that I look at the problem in reverse. I look at 
the observer rather than what's observed. I think you find more clues in the observer than you do in what's observed. I think um, a great deal of the nature of the consciousness of, uh, of us as a species um, it certainly has had a tensioning effect on our context, our environment, uh, and that uh, these things that happen, I don't think, happen without a, a series of causations that uh, arise. And then we get into, you know, science, which tells us that quantum phenomena can't, uh, at least now they think, that quantum phenomena cannot occur in, on a macro scale, which I, I tend to disagree with that just by, from what I've observed and uh, from what I've read. Well, in terms of the observer, uh, circumstances of the, of the observer being more important, um, does this get into George Hansen territory in terms of, uh, uh, you, you know, there's sort of like this, oh, trickster hypothesis, you know, where if things are going bad in your life if, or if there's anti-structure in your life, let's say, uh, then that will perhaps be a window of opportunity for, for this thing to sort of interact with you. Do, do you find that? I, I think it has to do with uh, the process of imagination, which is a marvelous thing that's sort of a, a two-sided sword. In other words, I think our visualization, our ability to conceptualize things that don't exist in an empirical sense is an indicator or a clue as to how these things manifest according to the individual that observes them. In other words, no two people would see the same uh, phenomenon the same way the closer they get to it. The further back they go, uh, like, for example, in many recent or even older UFO sightings, the further back you go, the more you can see sort of a shared perception. But you get closer to them, you find that uh, it's very individuated as to everything from um, garb Nazi uh, uh, mechanics and you know, working on a, 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 a classic flying saucer to um, dead relations, uh, you know, family members who have passed, or you have any variety of, of semiotic reordering going on that is very interesting. And I think that uh, looking at the surface of things and, and using language self-referential language that our language is, is an error in in perceiving exactly what this phenomenon is. For example, abductions. You know, is somebody literally being abducted, or is it is abduction an apt term? Uh, well, there there are certain mechanics of the abduction that people, you know, say are, for instance, found in fairy lore or in... Uh, the shamanic journey of breaking the person apart and, and you know reconstituting them and, and that sort of thing. Um, so, what do you do with that? What do you do with these sort of thematics or mechanics that uh, seem to hide in whatever the imagery is of the day, um, but the mechanics still seem to be the same? Right. Well, I think again, it it's um, 
experiential reality, at least from my own experience, is is a spectrum rather than a series of demarcations between materiality and non-materiality. In other words, you know, Einstein said a long time ago that there are really no solid objects. And so you take it from there and you talk about transiting. And, you know, we can certainly transit, uh, if you only do it every day, without moving a foot, you know. And so I think a great deal of this has to do with metaphor as well. I think a great deal, an enormous amount of it, in terms of ufology, in terms of um, quote-unquote abductions, are literally metaphors created by the semiotics of language. In other words, language has a reality of its own, and it can work backwards by creating realities, or if you will, imposing uh, coherent uh, patterns on what might be chaotic. Uh, but, then, but then what do you do with photos and videos and, and even EVP recordings? Mm-hmm. I mean, are those, those well, are tangibles, right? Well, again, they're, they're recordings. And again, you know, what are you recording? You're recording an image. You're recording, uh, well, to, put, to get down to the root, it, it's really you're recording energy. And you're recording energy in a form. And energy in a form, that's a whole subject in of itself. Is uh, That's why I named uh, intangible materiality the way I, I named it, was that behind, uh, if you will, material uh, manifestation, everything is energy. You know, even something that we, we term dead or, um, if you will, lifeless, like a rock, is, uh, is energetic. And so if you look at images and you look at forms and you look at all those things and you just say, through language, this is this and that's that, you know, the key is what is the relationships there? What, what are the comparable relationships that you can derive from that rather than taking things on the surface? I go back to Wonders in the Sky and I, and I think about... Um... The fact that people would see way back when uh, entire like armies battling in the clouds. Right. I don't even know if it's the right question to ask, but like, what? what do you, <laughs> how do you go from that to what we've got now? I mean, what does that say? I guess if it, if we're talking about what does this say about the observer? What does it say about the observing cultures uh, okay. that we've gone from foot soldiers in the sky to okay. this sort of this thing, this object that we don't right. even know what it is, and we assume is from another planet. Right. And I, well, I think again, uh, what you just related has a lot to do with context. I don't think these things could exist without context. In other words, you know, it's like the old uh, Zen physics uh, riddle. You know, um, does a tree fall in the forest if nobody's there to observe it? You know, it really has to do with the context of how energy parasitically is creating forms out of our concepts, which are based on 
in turn, semiotics, things that um, we mistake language for reality. And so, in a way, it's like looking through a mirror. It's like a programming. It's like uh, software, if you will. Well, here's a scary thought, then. Um, mm-hmm. If um, if the mechanics... Awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry? There's lots of them. Yeah, well, I just thought of this now, so, so here comes one now. Uh, if the mechanics stay the same through the ages and the imagery changes, and in the old days, um, world leaders, which were essentially military people, were influenced by these visions um, to go a certain direction in a way that they're not now because presumably the military leaders or the, the leaders of the countries and nations, you know, they're not out on the front lines anymore in battle right. or any of that. Well, if the mechanics stay the same, then should we assume that there are, uh, there is some sort of interplay between world leaders and this thing that we just don't know about anymore because they're not writing about it? No, I don't think so. So where do you think no. that went? You mean as far as the influence of, of uh, empirical strategies as far as tribal conflicts? Yeah, or, well, even in terms of Napoleon deciding to, you know, turn around or something, you know, just something right. along those lines where it affects a, a major decision of a, of a major Well, order. I think, yeah, I think it comes back to the concept of a monarchical universe that is controlled from elsewhere, which quantum physics is, uh, you know, showing that we live in a universe with a great deal of uh, freedom to innovate, you know, in uh, living systems, which this is what we're in. And I think that uh, leaders, uh, military leaders, political leaders, which that's a whole thing in of itself, the psychology of that, you know, the pathology of control, where actually we control nothing. And I think that uh, military leaders and political leaders look for portents, look for signs, as if there were some sort of uh, divine uh, agreement on a tribal uh, matter, <laughs> where you know they're they're sort of uh, again programming the phenomenon, uh, maybe not consciously. It depends, you know. I mean, you look at the nature of consciousness, and uh, as far as self awareness is concerned, I mean, we can be conscious of of our environment. We can be conscious of the language we use. We can be conscious of many many relationships between the inner and outer world where we live in a niceness between the two. But at the same time, I think um, the danger is that we create a lot of these effects through, if you will, a third force, or a force we don't completely understand. It's very complex. And yet we attach anthropomorphism to it, and then we end up getting tangled in our own shoelaces and going around and so for a forensical uh circles <laughs> what's the uh, what's the third force I, I I really believe that as a force and of course then you get into physics where you know what is a force I think it's a reconciliation between consciousness and uh, materiality and I think it's a spectrum I don't think you can demarcate it and and put markers on and say, well, this is separate from that, and that's separate from this, and I have a word for it. And it's like, it, it, it just does not represent 
what is going on around us all the time. Mm-hmm. We sort of live in a dream state. <laughs> well, yeah, and getting, you know. getting to that in terms of ufology, I, I mean, uh, you think what we're seeing now in ufology itself is a reflection of what happens when when you do become such a literalist and do need a definite definition of what right. these things are. You know, we need proof, right. we need disclosure, we need this and that and the other thing. And of course, that's right. all that's all an illusion, and so it becomes right. a neuroticism. I mean, do you think that, that right. we're seeing a mental illness in some way sort of play out as a result of our own, as I say, rational, you know, reductionist uh, mind um, trying right. to approach this thing that is not that, but we really, really want it to be that? Yeah, I think what it is 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 this sounds silly, but um in a sense, a great deal of what's in the field wants to domesticate very badly, just as we we think we can domesticate nature. In the same way we think we can domesticate this phenomenon and give it a human face. And the problem with that Yes, when we get into that, the observer has cross purposes. The observer is driven many, many, in many ways, whether it's by hormones or uh, autonomic responses, uh, changes in the environment. We don't really, in reality, have many choices. We think we do. We assume that we do. And so when you choose if you are a conceptual model and you make it a totem and you have a vested interest in it, I think then you get into this sort of thing where people become very frustrated. And it's sort of something I've sensed over the past year where all these heat sinks arise. Uh, I can give many examples of that, but the frustrations of trying to fit a round peg into a square hole ends up where you have people defending um, some very strange things that really have absolutely nothing to do with the complexity of the phenomenon itself. It's like they're they're all talking to themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, I wonder if, uh, you know, we intuit the complexity of the phenomena, whether we want to believe in that uh, complexity or not, and so we create these sort of substitute complexities where, for example, um, it was pretty clear that the the open testimony of a 1950s contactee um, was emotionally shallow nonsense. But it's not as clear that the fear-filled, straightforward testimony of, you know, a hypnotized subject about alien doctors, somehow that rings more emotionally true to people for a lot longer period of time. And I wonder if that's not... Um, what you're talking about, where where it's that we've substituted this this sort of in-your-face fear scenario for complexity? I think so. I think I think also you have to look at where personality is a digestive organ of consciousness. I mean, it has no reality in of itself. It's non-existent, but at the same time. Um, if you will, from rational thinking, it's a paradox in that uh, we rely on something that's non-existent. It's a, it's kind of like saying, uh, confusing something we measure relationships with 
uh, and saying, well, that's reality in of itself, when it's not. And I think a lot of the experiencers, um, what they're experiencing is, if you will, a feedback. I think, again, uh, the observer and the observed and the relationship between what our software tells, and I mean in a, in a consensus sense, in a sense that uh, consensus based on language, based on reference, if you will, is like a software program. And so it has an impact, of course, on what we experience you know, as reality. And I think a lot of these are cultural scripts. I really believe... Um, that a lot of the scenarios that have to do with genetic manipulation are essentially metaphors. And I think the sterile atmosphere, the sociopathic uh, relationship between, quote-unquote, the experimenters and the subjects really represent, if you will, almost a Jungian uh, portrait of technological science. And there's sort of a very... I think deep subconscious fear of uh, what's occurring in consensus reality, and it's reflected back to us by shared metaphors. I, I take it there are dogs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he has dogs invading his consensus reality right now. <laughs> 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 well, Jeff, this is probably the perfect place to throw it over to you. What oh. would the what would the more you give, the more you get. You get. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, Bruce, I, I mean, that's one of the things that I've, I've talked about a, a whole lot, at least in my own experience here, that, um, uh, I mean, over the past uh, two decades that I've been in this, um, it, I, I've noticed a pattern that, that for a long time I wouldn't even bring up because, again, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not what people want, I guess, or it wasn't what right. people wanted to hear because it was simply too weird. But uh, this falls into a couple different categories. The way I look at this is the the more focus, the more intense you become with this subject, uh, the harder you look. Uh, right. To even the point of going out and actively seeking out this phenomena, or any phenomena for that matter, mm-hmm. um, you seem to get it. And, and to qualify that, I mean uh, you attain something that is – uh, to, to your perspective, is completely undeniable. Uh, it's very in your face. And it is a manifestation of some sort, or at least it has been for me. Right. Um, but at the same time as I say that, this this whole paranormal thing in general seems to have its own built-in escape hatch. And the escape hatch for that statement is, well, of course, if you're looking for it, you're going to find it. Right. Uh, and that's, right. what, uh, that's what your, you know, your dyed-in-the-wolf fundamental skeptic would say. Um, what, what do but you say to, more, that, to that? It's just another form of reductionism. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. another form of it. You know, it, it, it's like in a way you have different brand names. <laughs> you have mm-hmm. product that we process. Uh, the fact that uncertainty is really uh, all around us. I mean, you can't predict what's going to happen to you tomorrow. Right. I can't predict what's going to happen to me. I can't predict what's going to happen in that terrible situation in Japan. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we want predictability. 
We want order. We want to possess and control uh, our own destinies, in a sense, where just the opposite is true. And so you have all these brands, all these uh, products uh, that are sold in the marketplace of consciousness that sort of steer outcomes. And then we're sort of surprised. It's like what Robert Anton Wilson said. You know, you're in a theater and you're watching this and it's like, well, where did this come from? We don't realize that we're up in the projector booth, you know, <laughs> right? Uh, doing that whole thing. Hmm. Well, I mean, as far as uh, as far as what, let's just say the UFO phenomena is doing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. something that you wrote, uh, and I, I don't want to read this whole paragraph because it's it's rather long, but uh, at the end, <laughs> this was <laughs> this was this was something that you wrote, uh, I think, in Cloaking the <laughs> Hermetic, which is like one of the best things I've ever read on on this stuff. And, um, uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read this short bit here. It says after decades, the the turning over every rock and stone in search of any purpose to this phenomena is very much akin to the search of the hermit in one of its earliest formulations, at least in written history, which leads back to the Greek civilization, which the tarot card and its degeneration over the centuries as a book of human psychology to fortune telling, has retained, oddly enough, the meaning of a lamp oddly being lit and carried in daylight in the search for those who are sincere in their honesty in relation to the search for the truth behind appearances, and in some sense, to those who have this quality. The UFO phenomena has shown a bright light on self-aggrandizement, pathological lying, deception, manipulation, exploitation, the desire for power, fame, and false respect. Right. <laughs> and I was right. like... Yeah, that's pretty much it, isn't it? Uh, so, so let me ask you. I mean, do you see that as um, the critical thinker in this, or the um, even the uh, the skeptical believer? I'll say that sort of person. Do you see that person as the hermit walking about? And do you see the UFO phenomenon effectively uh, shining a light on these people in the circus? And you know what I mean when I say that. Yeah. Do yes, you think that I, that is effectively what it's doing? Yes, I think that's an effect. Yes. Hmm. Yes, I do. I think that, um, you know, um, if you go into Sufism and you study that, it's sort of one of their tenets is to believe in what we cannot see, which has no, if you will, form, uh, which then you get into the correlation between that and the holy fool who walks off the edge of the earth uh, in search of what he can't see or what he cannot conceptualize, something incommensurable. And I think if you tie the incommensurable with, uh, uh, for example, uh, Dr. Vallee uh, wrote a wonderful paper on the incommensurability of the UFO phenomenon Hmm. and the very nature of it being incommensurable in a way creates effects that, you know, it's like the old Sufi tale of the blind man and the elephant. It depends on your speciality. You might see it as 
a natural phenomenon. You might see it as a demon. You might see it as a scientific pursuit. You might see it as a spiritual quest. Um, that sort of thing. Right. So it's it's all pretty much how you base your own. It's all very subjective then. I mean, you know, it's all very well, personal. I mean. Well, it's like the old saying, each according to their own. Mm-hmm. To each according to their own. In other words, uh, an old metaphysical axiom is that truth is a clear liquid. Mm-hmm. And that it takes on the color of its container. And it's very much... Uh, like that, when you get into incommensurable phenomenon that we can't uh, place a handle on it and uh, carry it around and saying, well, this is contained in my baggage. But what's interesting is people do. <laughs> well, yeah. Do. I mean, yeah. I mean, and that's the problem in today's ufology yeah. is everybody's building upon their own, you know, their own container. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, and, I think, and thinking they're right, but at the same time, um, you know, if we're going to say that everyone is is you know essentially taking on the color of the container, uh, if they're speaking in a truthful way, then uh, you know I, you hear all sorts of different things. I mean, you hear benevolent space brothers on one hand, right, and right. then on the other hand, you hear uh, horror stories from people like me. Uh, right. So right. we're both right. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, they are. Yeah. They are. Um, they so, are. so ultimately, yeah. I mean, when, when I've talked about this before, you know, and every, well, I mean, invariably, when you talk to someone who doesn't know you're involved in this stuff, the first thing out of their mouths is, is it real? And, you know, then you say something smarmy like, well, what do you mean by real? Uh, but, uh, uh, they said, "Well, what, what do you get out of it? What have you What have you gotten out of it?" And and my answer has always been the same now for uh, at least twenty years. Has been, uh, "Well, I've learned next to nothing about it, but volumes about me." Right. Um, and right. so, you know, right. in your eye, is that is that the point? If there is a well, point, I, yeah, I think what it is, it has to do with the recombinant and reorganizational process of consciousness in the sense that if if you really look at what the effects of this phenomena have been, it's been to cast a very, 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 very wide net uh, in relation to how we communicate with one another. What are the limits of language? Uh, what had what sort of membranes, if you will, that we use to digest the world are in a way editing um, our perception. And whenever you have a phenomena that's incommensurable to anything that you can point to, um, there's always going to be, well, it's like this or it resembles that. And then that, in a sense, when you really look at it and study it, you find that it doesn't resemble um, any model we have. None. Zero. And so it's saying something exists that we have absolutely no idea what it represents. But at the same time, you look at the observer 
and the observer really knows as little about himself or herself as they do the phenomenon. We live by language, but yet the great question is, um, what are we? What is our purpose, if any? And I think uh, then you get into some very interesting uh, concepts that just recently uh, arose, which is um, Dr. Lanza wrote an excellent book that said, you know, all these physicists are, which I don't believe in the Big Bang, but, you know, the origin, (laughs) yeah, the origin of the universe. And what he's saying, and I think that it's so important and so underreported, is that you have to account for sentience as well. Mm-hmm. You just can't take a material universe like, uh, you know, the separation of mind and body and blah, blah, blah. You can't, again, it's a spectrum of, uh, if you will, materiality, and some of which we cannot perceive. And consciousness, we're as much of a mystery to ourselves if we're really sincere and really honest and don't rely on uh, crutches. I think, you know, I I think it was McKenna that said, you know, uncertainty is our our best friend. But we go, (laughs) (laughs) you know, building these huge moats that, you know, and there's a fear involved. I really do. I think... Uh, that, you know, you look at Freud and you look at uh, Jung who went their separate ways because they, they differed in their interpretation of dreams. And then you go back to the Sufis, and uh, an enormous influence to me has been the metaphysician uh, Ibn al-Arabi, who is absolutely brilliant and uh, who lived in Andalusia a long time ago. And even though he used the terms of his times uh, in terms of monotheism, his idea of the one is very interesting, not so much that there's literally a one that exists, but the idea that all things are interconnected and entangled in one another. Mm. And that uh, it's not a matter of division, it's a matter of multiplication and addition that the universe is a, is fractally differentiating itself all the time, which is its purpose. You know, the more differentiation there is, it's like, for example, like, why is, why is the universe expanding? Why is that? <laughs> right, right. Where is that coming from? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I really, after thinking about this for a long, long, long time, I think, you know, it has to do with differentiation. And I think that, um, the challenge to all of us is to measure five times and then say, and like Wilson said, you know, in every sentence, and perhaps, maybe, <laughs> right. you know, probabilities instead of edicts and, and less territorial demarcations based on the language that you use. I think Wilson was another enormous influence where... You know, he was like, well, at a certain point, it comes down to sort of a lunacy of who has the better language. <laughs> right. Well, it's true. I mean, and and you mentioned uh, <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned Terrence McKenna. I mean, I, that's somebody we've we've talked about a lot on this show. Yeah. And uh, yeah. 
I was just listening the other night where he did a uh, kind of yeah. a, a three-way conversation. Uh, I can't remember who with, um, but it, the, the subject was entities. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Terrence kind of lays the groundwork for this conversation where he says, uh, you know, there's the most boring explanation for these entities, no matter what they are, is that they're they're real and they're walking around. And then there's two that it's all in your head. And three would be uh, that these are beings existing completely outside the perception of human beings, and they are uh, autonomous. They are completely separate from us. In other words, when we're not there to perceive them, they're still around. Uh, Yeah, and I think think you're right. I think mm -hmm. he was right. I think what's interesting is that a lot of these individuals – and I can think of several, that I had no real mm, awareness of, had no um, basis to uh, compare their thinking to my own. And when I go back, and some of this, uh, you know, retroactively or post-editorially I look at, and it's amazing how much uh, similarity there is uh, in what certain people say. Mm-hmm. which is kind of astonishing in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when you're walking down the same road, you're bound to pass the same little bush, right? I mean, it, it, you know. Not necessarily. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you look at what we got I on the you table. you would hope so. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you certainly. You want, a road, you want a road bench somewhere. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you got to sit the hell down. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but but uh, I mean, as far as McKenna's stuff, I mean, what do you think about um, this stuff? That that's a fairly new wrinkle, at least in in the paranormal, if you want to call it that. I mean, we had Dennis McKenna on the show um, way back when now, and um, and we were talking to him about you know what what he and his brother perceived in these different psychedelic states on different compounds DMT and and all of that and and then even getting into some of uh you know Dr. Strassman's work with DMT and right. and the shared things that people perceived in a in an altered state of consciousness i mean right. the i mean in in your mind is there anything to that or is that strictly boiling it down to physiology well i think that um at a certain level, you know, it's like the local versus the non-local. And I think that there's a relationship between the two. And I'm talking in terms of physics, and you could say, in a sense, that also applies to the paranormal. In that we don't live in one world, you know, that, that uh, we've invented or conceived of and live as a... Uh, if you will, uh, a model or a conceptual model of behavior of of all these things that uh, compose behavior. In that we live, we live in an isthmus between between what hasn't been organized, if you will, by the observer mm-hmm. and what uh, and what we have. And so, what we have in a sense, is driven by this false sense, what they call false personality, again, where we sort of borrow from our environment. And then we say, well, this is unique to me. This is, this is reality. This is, you know, and really, it, it's, it's almost as 
parasitic in a sense, which is interesting. Mm. Uh, in terms of semiotics and borrowing from the environment, as the UFO phenomenon utilizes the same principles. Mm. It borrows from us. We don't yeah. see anything in the phenomenon except a recombinant version of what we perceive. Huh. Well, I mean, I, I know we got to wind it up here pretty soon, but uh, sure. you know, you had you had written in here um, with cloaking the hermetic. You had talked about uh, these these hooded figures uh, right. all right. through this That's stuff, right. and. Uh, uh, and I've I've seen this stuff, uh, and I've talked about it on the show lately. Um, I guess within the past year, right? Uh, more than a few times. And uh, to to you, what 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 is that? What is that? What does that represent? Is is that um, uh, is that a product of us? Um, because the, it's both. You know, it, 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 it it's a hybrid. I mm-hmm. think you could almost characterize all of this phenomenon as a hybrid that arises from the relationship between the observer and the, you know, and the observed. Mm-hmm. And that, in a sense, all of this should be read as a metaphor. In other words, the old uh, Sufi saying, don't look at what is in my hand, look at what I'm pointing to. Mm-hmm. In that it takes us to a place where we look at unique relationships that have not occurred through language, and they're visual. And they're visual metaphors that recombinate to, uh, to our orientation in, uh, in where we are, you know, in spatial terms and any other terms you care to think of, you know. Huh. And the, so the, the cloaked uh, figure... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, you know, the one thing that uh, that you're talking about that sounds the most familiar to me, and I think I've even mentioned this either on the message board or the show, that uh, uh, the feeling that I get from, and this is, it looks like a male to me um, in this, you know, hooded thing, uh, is that um, either, and I don't know how to exactly to, to describe the feeling, but the feeling is that... Um, he he feels like part of me, uh, and, and so this is really why I wrote or or read off of Filer's Files that report that the gentleman had talked about because that was in Maryland, which right. is where I am. Um, and so I thought it was uncanny that yeah, while well, you know someone else has seen something that has said to him flatly, "I am you." Uh, well, I think it gets into a very interesting. Uh, I wrote. Um, quite a while ago, uh, about the hat man, which is a, a shadow figure that appears to very young children. And the shadow is very distinctive from other shadows, and it's always wearing a hat. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and I think in a sense, in a very deep sense, uh, you go back to a literary metaphor of the secret chair that Joseph Conrad wrote about, about the guy who is a stowaway who's, who's run away, and the crew member on the ship who is the only one aware of his existence, but yet must be kept a secret. And in a way, these shadow figures or liminal 
uh, perceptions of a, a, a locus of manifestation, I think, is a way of the consciousness creating a metaphor for relationships that are not verbalized, that that we try and reconstruct. It, it's like a dream. Hmm. It's like if you look at a dream, there's, there's sort of different differing strata of dream levels. And in a way, in, a, in another sense, like uh, Ibn al-Arabi uh, observed that dreams, above the dreams, there are sentient uh, creatures who have, if you will, uh, a life that is entangled with ours. And they are also entangled with something beyond their own evolution. And, you know, just as we're an isthmus between uh, the inner and outer, they are an isthmus between, if you will, uh, two other realms. And so you have this crosstalk where we perceive it as we see it. In other words, we kind of create the form that really has no form. <laughs> yeah, well, it's you all know? inside the three-pound universe, right? I mean... Right. Yeah. Well, I just got one more, and then I'll, I'll throw it back to Jer if he has anything. Um, inevitably, when you get into this, um, as you have, and you've written so much about this in such <laughs> deep, profound ways, um, have, have you ever had, or are you having... <laughs> Uh, paranormal experiences of of any kind? Have you have you witnessed anything? And would you would you be comfortable talking about it? Oh, I have no problem with that. I have nothing to hide. Um, yes. Uh, oh, take your pick. Uh, well, I think the most I think the most remarkable one uh, occurred about. And again, I'm terrible at time. <laughs> That's okay. And um, it happened, I think, two or three years ago, maybe four. And what happened was, usually before something strange happens, there's little, and you become perceptive to that, a little out-of-place things or coincidences, uh, call them synchronicities, you know, and like somebody once said, a coincidence is something we just don't know the reason for. It's just not a coincidence. Right. <laughs> and and uh, on my, uh, I had a add-on, message machine connected to my phone. And the uh, message machine, uh, though it was powered up, had no cord uh, connected to the phone because I was having problems with it. And it just became more of a hassle to have this thing connected than it was to just disconnect and forget about getting messages. Well, what happened was that all of a sudden the answering machine went off and uh, very strange noises, uh, like electronic noises, almost like um, like if you're between radio channels, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, I'm describing this. And almost musical in nature. Mm-hmm. And a very um, autonomic, uh, almost as if it was a, a digital recording addressed me and said to beware of nefarious, and that nefarious wants to misdirect attention, and that you have to be 
on your toes at all times. And, um, and this was recorded. Uh-uh. And what was interesting is, is that the voice lowered in timber as the message ended. In other words, a stalk or, you know, talk, like it was speeding up, slowing down. Okay. And so I played it back for my wife. And she was like, what the, you know, what is that? Well, that, that night, uh, about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, the phone rang. And it was the same character. And it was that same metallic, uh, strange voice. And my son picked up the phone. And it said, is your father there? Now, he didn't know that he was my son or who he was or anything. <laughs> and he just repeated the same message. Now, at the same time this was going on, uh, there were some very strange sounds coming outside uh, through an open window screen, and it sounded just as if a small dog uh, was communicating through bird language. In other words, it would have a trill using the vocalizations of a canine that was musical, that was repetitive. And uh, very strange things, yes, have happened. The last one happened yesterday. I was driving along, and suddenly the radio, um, it was uh, suddenly tuned off the channel I was listening to, and it was like some kind of cheap uh, electronic organ that, uh, you know, you'd buy in a dime store or whatever, the kids play with, and it, it, it was like a pattern of a melody, which is very odd, and the static was still coming through, and a very distant voice that almost, yeah, the closest thing I can relate it to is like a voice you would hear on an EVP, and it said, Allah, Allah, huh. Allah, and then the musical, to- musical tones came on, and then the uh, static happened, and then it went back to the radio station. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Well I, well, I hate to say, the phone calls sound like a, a call from Mr. Cold. Um, yes, it does. You yeah, know, a lot, I mean, I can, yes. That Absolutely. sounds all too familiar in that respect. Um, yeah. And there have been other things. I had a guy, uh, oh, I don't know what it was, actually. I was cutting a grass in my backyard, and all of a sudden I saw this guy crouching in the corner of the house, which was very bizarre, and he was wearing like a uniform-like garment. And I was like, what the heck is he doing there? And so I turned off the lawnmower, went over there, and he was shocked that I saw him. And I was right there. I mean, you could hear the lawnmower. <laughs> Hello. And, right. uh and what was strange is I said, well, what are you doing here? And he was like, oh, I'm sorry, made a mistake. And, and <laughs> I just forgot. And he took off. Here's the strange thing. I took two or three steps back to lawnmower, turned around, and I was like, wait a minute. I can't just let this go. <laughs> you know? Right. It's too bizarre. What is he doing here? So I ran to get him. There was nobody there. And I mean, there's only one street in front of the house, and blah blah blah. Right, right. Nowhere, and, nowhere to go. Yeah. Right. Very interesting. And I was hmm. like, okay. 
<laughs> well, so, I mean, cool have you? Ever, I mean, aside from, I mean, did, did the nefarious calls did that mean anything to you, or was that just as bizarre as it sounds? I mean, it's just as bizarre as it sounds. I and see, no. I, 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 well, I mean, you, you talked about your guy at the corner. It, it reminds me of uh, I used to live in a condominium. I'm in a single family home now, but in the condominium, uh, I, I, you know, I'm sitting on the couch and. Uh, and I go to get up, and as I'm pushing myself up off the couch, um, I look over into the uh, the sunroom, and there's a man there. <laughs> there's a man in my house, <laughs> and and, and uh, I think I said something to the effect of, uh, "Are you one of them?" Uh, to which I get this snickering sneer anytime I I, I kind of get a t- like you're just as clueless as the day is long is the kind of answer I get. Um, but but he says to me, uh, the seven rule the nine. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> I, I, you know, and I look down, I look back up, and just like you just said, there's nowhere to go, there's nowhere to run, there's windows, there's doors, but you're right. coming off a second-story building. I don't think you're taking a leap. You know what I mean? Yeah, you had to say something nonsensical to go out of your way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look you down know? and think about this for a minute, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go this way. <laughs> so, Jeremy? Well, I guess just sort of on that note, when you were um, in any of those situations, and maybe specifically with the guy crouching in your yard, uh, did you feel as though you were in your normal state of consciousness? Yes. And when you're going through a situation like that, is there any doubt that it is real? Um, it happens so quickly, it blindsides you. In other words, you don't have time to formulate uh, a question. Usually that occurs, I would say, what would you say, um, several moments later. Mm-hmm. And then that's when it becomes strange, when suddenly it occurs to you that something is out of place. This relationship, you know, what I'm seeing doesn't correspond to prosaic reality, you know, which in turn, guys, sometimes can be paranormal enough. But um, no, I don't. I only, only in retrospect, when it's occurring, I think I am in the thrall. The way I thought about this quite a bit, and it's as if I've been hypnotized. It's as if I've been suggested to. Now, whether I'm suggesting to myself or someone is suggesting to me, I think it's beside the point. I think it is... Um, an inference, a suggestion whose incommensurability I can't determine an origin for. Hmm. You know, when I don't know, I don't know, you know. Which came first for you, your interest or the phenomena? The phenomena. So it was in your life and then you started studying it? Right, right. What was the earliest memory you have of something? Well, yeah, the earliest memory I have, which has always struck me, uh, and this was when I was three years old, was I was riding my tricycle, and all of a sudden it was an overwhelming, I mean just overwhelming memory that I can't trace any origin to, and it was saying to me, this memory, that I have to, and this is at age three, remember everything about where I am exactly right now. 
And I have. I've retained that memory. And it's almost as if, uh, again, you know, you're talking uh, uh, almost 60 years ago. It's never left me as this sense of, this sense of, of a marker, like it's asking me to place a marker in in spatial relationships, what we call time. And so, being so young, I didn't question it, but it was there nonetheless, and I did. And uh, I think that was that was my first experience with something I could not logically find an origin for, rationally. Hmm. Uh, what do you think would happen to the human being if we had undivided consciousness? Well, it depends on what you call divided. Subconscious, um, conscious. If we well, didn't have unconscious impulses, if we didn't have a collective unconscious, if everything was right out there in, in the forefront. I think that, I think, um, the question might be better answered by acquiring divided attention. In other words, if you think about it, like let's say, for example, you're watching a movie and, you know, it's a digital recording that's a simulation of a reality that uh, is, is synthetic. But yet you're sitting on the couch, you're looking at the TV, and all these autonomic operating systems are kicking off. In other words, um, you know, if there's an exciting part, like your adrenaline goes up, uh, if there's an empathetic uh, pathos about it, you know, you feel that. Uh, there's all these things going on over a simulation. That doesn't exist in real time. It's a digital recording. However, I, and I think, uh, you know, this is why Espensky was, I think, uh, an important influence to me, was can you observe yourself while you're experiencing these autonomic uh, signals. And so, you know, then it gets into the question, well, how much are we really present in our experiences? Is it just a matter of a player piano that has pre-programmed keys? Or is it a matter of not having the self-awareness to divide ourselves from our own attention and observe what we're doing. And I think uh, if you look at the world situation, I think that's coming more to the fore. Let me ask you, I guess, my my one last question. Uh, If you didn't have these experiences in your life, Mm -hmm. um, would it matter? Do you think that you would have grown up to still have uh, these deep questions at the forefront of your mind? Um, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know. You know, I could hypothesize. I could speculate. Um, I guess probably I would. Probably I would. But I'm such a product of experiential uh, effects that uh, do the same effects occur outside of space-time. I mean, you know, in other words, is a, you know, the non-existent now, you know, we we say now, but every time we say now, now is evaporated like a will-o'-the-wisp. And so it's a very difficult discernment to make as, as far as probability and outcome. I don't know. You know, I, I, I intuitively sense that probably I would. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that could, who knows, 
you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, Bruce, thank you very much for doing the show. And um, can I just say this is this has been the most brilliant freaking interview that has happened to us in uh, in a while, Bruce. So, oh my uh, god. <laughs> yeah, That's you scary. win. I mean, I have, I have I have thoroughly enjoyed this on every level. And and would would you consider coming back again, do another stint with us? Sure, I enjoy talking to you. That's, I enjoy sharing fantastic. these experiences. Yeah, we'd like to hear more about those too in the next episode. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'm sure you got a ton to tell us about. So this has been brilliant. They thank you very very much for doing this. Well, thank you guys. I really enjoy talking to you. Um, with you <laughs> now uh, are you coming back to your own website or, or do you have well i a time frame? yeah i i took a break from intangible materiality and took a side trip into language through surrealism which is a, a website called uh, transit of contingency which i became re-fascinated by the connection between surrealism uh, as a movement, which didn't have a, a very long shelf life, uh, but it's fascinating in the connections between surrealism, the tenets of surrealism, and paranormal phenomena. So I kind of took a side venture into that because I felt, you know, you get too close to ufology, you become, if you will, vested in it, and I wanted to divest myself from um, that. So you got into order, Bud Hopkins to... artwork. <laughs> Way to go. Pardon? So you got into Bud Hopkins artwork. Way to go. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. That's frightening. <laughs> you just can't get away. Uh, well, we'll save that for, for next time. Um, thank you again for, for coming on the show, and, uh, and we'll be talking to you again in the future. Well, I enjoyed the conversation. This is Phil and Brogno, paranormal investigator and scientist sometimes. You're listening to Jeff and Jeremy on Paratopia. So the Jeff. And so the Jer. Another day, another interview. Bruce Danzig. Yes. I keep wanting to call him Danzig, like the uh, singer. Mama. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that was that was a, a damn fine talk. I enjoyed that. Good. And you? Good. Oh, silent one of the mic. Uh, yes, I enjoyed it as well. Um, Did you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we always talk about different points of view, but we don't. Rarely do we get beyond the trickster. I think he brought us to other places. Yeah. You know? So yeah, absolutely. That's always a good yeah, thought, thing. Well, that was really good. Um. But what do you think about the idea that I had? <laughs> yes, me. Well, it always comes back to you, doesn't it? Yes, which is uh, <laughs> that this whole. I mean, this is the problem that, that, that I've had even in, in personal dealings with uh, friends and ex-friends, which is that unless you are brooding and emo and in fear and shock, this isn't a real situation. The contactee movement was full of emotionally vapid um, nonsense, but somehow 
the fear-driven stuff is not considered nonsense. That's considered to be tapping a real emotion, uh-huh. which, of course, as we see with hypnosis, at least in terms of hypnosis, it may be tapping a real emotion, but it, that emotion may not even be attached to a real memory. So... I thought we were talking about a, the experience and not crap. Uh, well, no, the uh, stop. The question is, <laughs> the question is, the difference between experience and crap, really, what is it? <laughs> what is the difference? Like, how do we, uh, has this sense of, of what is emotionally impactful to the listener uh, replaced depth, I guess is sort of the question. Do we look at something that is emotionally impactful and go, oh, that must smack of uh, depth of the topic, when in fact it just smacks of fear or something well, that I, is antithetical well, to the contactee stuff? Yeah, well, let's be honest here. The contactee stuff, uh, 99% of the contactee stuff sounded like a, a used car salesman pitch. There was no sense of if you were in this situation, here's what you'd do. You know, this I think anybody who listens to someone who expresses uh shock and fear about this is tapping into the people who are listening. And so I think a lot of people who are listening who have had no such experience like that at all would say, I'd be mortified, you know. I think that's what kind of resonates with people is that that's that would be their experience or that's how they would feel about it, at least the majority of people. So maybe that's why it resonates better with, you know, as opposed to the used car salesman uh, pitch of, you know, I was on a UFO and they're from Venus, see? And inside Venus is this wonderful world of you know, blah, blah, blah. But if we have this phenomena that speaks to us on these depths and in metaphor and you know, visual and not quite literal and abstract and surreal and all this sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been with us for seemingly ever. I mean, if, if all of that is true, then why don't we get it? Like, why why are we jumping from the vapid car salesman stuff into um, emotional drainage <laughs> trauma? You know, we're going from kumbaya to trauma and... Meanwhile, if it's deeper and richer than that, um, I mean, the trauma isn't like alien doctors is not a deeper issue than uh, alien space brothers. Mm-hmm. Right. And so even if the emotion seems to be deeper, it's not a deeper topic. It doesn't it doesn't the topic of it doesn't make sense to what this phenomena actually is. Even if, and and as proof of that, we still can't say what the phenomena is, what it actually right. is. And so, why do we keep jumping from shallow rock to shallow rock instead of just diving into the water? I mean, what what is that about? I mean, how many how many more decades or centuries or however long? I mean, how many more years do we get to do this? And mm-hmm. and why do we keep doing it? Why don't we just confront the depth of it head on? Well, because we don't know what's in the pool on the deep end. For one, um, but I mean, I think if you read, um, uh, I mean, look at look at Jacques' book, which I think was mentioned tonight on the show, um, "Wonders in the Sky." I mean, look when you read that, look how many accounts in there um, say you know, stricken with great fear or on trembling legs, or so. I mean, clearly there was a there was a scary component to this even back then. Um, 
you know, I, th- I think to say we go from Space Brothers to this, uh, this fear-based stuff to weirdness, you know, which is certainly in a lot of uh, Wonders in the Sky. There's certainly a lot of weirdness in that. Um, I, I think it's a problem to confuse the contactee stuff or all that, you know, the Space Brother movement, I guess, um, with, uh, you know, stuff like the Integratron and all that. And what was called? And that what that was called, I think. Uh, yes. You know, all of that. Get integrity through a computer. Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, all of that, that kind of stuff is like the show business part. Like, I don't think there's anything authentic about that at all. At all. So I don't even count that as part of what this may or may not be. Because I don't see anything in that that even says, well, yeah, it might present itself that way. No, I don't either. I, I think that, that all of this stuff um, has a shadow side. All of these perspectives, you know, I've, I've talked on the uh, the show before about first person perspective, second person, third person. Mm-hmm. And I think when you tackle this subject from any of those perspectives, they all have their own shadow side. Mm-hmm. And the shadow side of second-person relationship, a relationship with the other, uh, is the vapid wish-fulfillment contactee horseshit, mm. um, which is, you know, really wanting <laughs> that. So so you're, I think you're right. I mean, I wouldn't consider that part of it at all. I would just consider it sort of the, I don't know. It's a business model. Well, the psychological shadow side. I mean, it's more than a business model because there, I'm sure, are delusional people who you know, believed what they were saying. In fact, I know, I know a couple of them. <laughs> uh Oh, yeah. So. I mean, this is, this is not to say that people don't have, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not making the, uh, the accusation here that, that people don't have positive space brotherly quote unquote feelings at some of these instances. I mean, I'm sure people do. Um, no, but if you ask Alan White, for instance, uh, mm-hmm. Did you live with a, a Venusian named Viv? He'll he will tell you yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, to this day he'll tell you yes. Well, so that's not a business model. That's he really wants to believe that he lived with a Venusian named Viv. Well, that's delusion. That's still not the phenomena. Right. Um. So I mean, I, I mean, again, it's like I I can't even I can't even parse that into to the thought of talking about this stuff like I, that doesn't fit to me that i mean that's this is my perspective it doesn't that doesn't fit to me so i don't even regard it as part of this it's kind of like there's delusion there's there's public reaction to this public reaction to the unknown um there's opportunists there's um there's delusions um and you know and then there's the you know uh, the the people who want it so much to be real that they'll buy into anything, including kid themselves about. I mean, what I forget what that woman's name is who, you know, gets all these predictions. She's on YouTube right now. I mean, I forget what her name is, but I mean, there's there's somebody that you question whether you know. It's very difficult to separate these people out in that in that group. Um, you know, are they delusional? Are they opportunist? Are they both? I don't know. It um, for me that doesn't that doesn't fly. I think that this thing has always, on some level, across the board, made people afraid, uh, and some people uh, the opposite end of the spectrum let are curious and approach it with an innocence that um, that it seems to respond to. 
I know? know. I know. I've asked you this before, mm-hmm. uh, but I can't remember what your answer is. Do you think that you would be asking deep questions all your life, or at all? Do you think you would have become this incarnation of you uh, if it weren't for this phenomenon? Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. So you and Bruce both say yes, and yes. I say yes too. Um, so what are we getting out of this then? Because we we don't need it for that. <laughs> what do we need it for? What what's in this exchange for us? Hmm. Don't know. Um, Just to be flummoxed. <laughs> I would only say that I would. I would. I I don't know if I would be questioning to this depth. To what degree? I don't know. Um, I think this has pushed me to to do that a bit more. Uh, but I think that my early experiences in a church would have made me question. Uh, a lot of things and a lot of what I was told. And I've never been a big guy with authority. So um, that would have made me question a lot of things. So to what degree? I don't know. Would I be questioning my own reality and all of that? And is any of this really real or how real is it? What are we? I don't know if I'd be doing that. Um, I know I'd be questioning uh, religion and and all of its uh, – all of its thoughts and 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 rules and you know what's man made what's not you know all of I'd be I'd be way more into that than I would be uh, talking about uh, manifestations of weird shit. I mean, just even thinking about your seven rules, the nine guy, mm-hmm. and you've said this before, you know, where you uh, sort of address what they are, what are you, that sort of thing, and they just kind are of are you them, yeah. <laughs> You know, brush it off like you, you you're a moron. Yeah, um, it's like this cliffhanger. It's like it's like one question leads to another, leads to another, and maybe that's the point. I don't know, but but this attitude that that you're not on to it, you're not gonna. What is that about? Is that is that you about mean on, on their end of it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, could they tell you? I mean, do you do you think it's they're capable of telling you what they are? And they just don't. <laughs> or do you think they're incapable? Do you think the program can't recognize itself? I've always had, you know, this big connection with, uh, with what, uh, you know, Dr. And I, Dr. McKenna and I had this big conversation on the phone before we did the show for like two and a half hours one day. And, and he told me the way the mushroom spoke and it's, it's mannerism or it's, it's flavor in conversation. And, you know, when he said, uh, tell me something I couldn't know so I can take it back with me. Tell me everything. Tell me what it's all about. And it said, well, I could do that, but in reality, you're just not that smart. So I'm just going to give you a little bit. That's kind of like the same attitude. It's like when I say, are you them? And they go, you know, and then, of course, being thick, as I've been told by a certain someone, um, that seems to feed into that. That you you know you you just don't get it, do you? I mean, I get a sense that they're just aggravated that I still haven't got it at this point. Um, are they capable of telling? I guess they're capable, but they're not going to. They want you to figure it out. I think is is that? Do they? Do they want you to figure it out? Well, I mean, that's certainly you know the I mean, stance I take. Question. I mean, uh, so like with the cortisol thing. Uh huh. Um, so Japan just fucking got destroyed. Yeah. Couldn't tell you about that? Well, um, I don't know. Is cortisol a bigger deal than, like, nuclear reactors? 
I, d- I don't know. Well, I know, I know, but I'm just saying, I mean, are, are we going to find out that, that really cortisol, he was right, that cortisol was the thing that really, <laughs> you know, was going to do us in and that this is just the Japanese thing is just a localized phenomenon and it's not going to be a big deal. I mean, it just seems like there are earthquakes. Um, there are bigger hitting, things to talk about. <laughs> yeah, hitting major spots uh, at mm-hmm. a rapid rate that mm-hmm. are now throwing the earth off its axis. I mean, these seem like bigger issues to me than cortisol. Mm-hmm. Um, so where's that information, Shroud Guy? I don't know. Ask him. I, mean, I can send him over later if you'd like. Please do. I mean, it's like it's like <laughs> like you were just saying with the mushroom entity. It's like, well, you're not smart enough, so I'm not going to tell you. So I'll give you a little bit. Well, okay, but what's the little bit? Is the little bit useful information? No, the little bit, uh, at least for you know what Doctor McKenna had told me was that it showed him a a star system. That was something like 17 light years away or more. can't remember the exact number, but it showed him and it said, you know, there are planets here and they are inhabited. And, uh, you know, this whole big how they came to be and sort of I think a little bit about what the culture was like that lived there. And then he said, okay, well, that's great, you know, but how do I know any of that's real or true or like, how do I know it's really there? Because we haven't seen it yet. So this is not something I can go back and say, look, here's what I've got. And he said its reaction was just kind of to smile and cock its head, you know, and, 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 and hunch its shoulders. Uh, kind of give you that, eh, you know, you wanted something you couldn't know, and there it is. Now, you're not, now you don't believe me? I mean, so it is just kind of like this, you know, I'll give you something, but it's relatively useless. <laughs> you know, Or is it uh, random? Is it random? I mean, is that the problem? That when well, you, when I mean, you ask isn't it for something that you can't possibly know, it gives you something random and then goes, well, you wanted something you can't know. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, three whistles from the genie, right? You know, I wish for a million dollars. Well, you didn't tell me my wife was going to die and I was going to collect on a million dollar life policy, right? So it's the same kind of deal. Well, you wanted this. Now you're telling me you don't want it. Yeah, uh, but you're telling me that, that, that this thing, like a mushroom entity that is inter connected with your consciousness right if it's its own entity it is right now merged with you right can't read what you really mean by that (laughs) i don't know (laughs) i don't know what i mean i don't know i think i'm gonna Uh, take the rest of my shrooms this week and uh put an end to this i think you better before this episode goes out or you'll have policemen at your door confront this fucker (laughs) (laughs) that's what i think um I don't I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's always this. It, that's always the way this stuff has worked. It's always been a dangling carrot. It's never been up front. You know, I mean, somebody on ATS asked me the other day, uh, sent me a private message and it said something about that. I had mentioned that having a sighting of something that you couldn't recognize as conventional aircraft of any kind. Uh, how could I? make the statement that that doesn't necessarily mean it's not this phenomena. And, uh, and so I said, well, how would you separate them? I mean, uh, how w- the only way to separate them is to be able to talk to the, w- the witness and to recognize certain earmarks that people who listen to this show have become familiar with, which is marginality, anti-structure, uh, synchronicities, you know, there are tandem weird things, like Bruce just said tonight, that kind of are um, a prelude to a paranormal event, 
as opposed to the sighting of something that could be natural, that could be um, that it, you know, if it is some rivet studded aircraft, that it could be something that we're testing. This is all very difficult to parse out, but unfortunately, uh, it all gets lumped together and becomes a big stew of now. How do we separate this? How do we define the UFO, the enigma? How do we how do we categorize that? And how do we then parse out legal data from you know what is probably a misidentification of something else? This is all you know. It's an unanswerable question because at this point we can't. All we, all we can do from here forward is to say, you know, let's look at this in a different way other than nuts and bolts and start looking at the individual filing the report, what's going on with them, what did they see, what did they see after, any parallel experiences, that sort of thing. And then maybe you can start to get an idea that, okay, there's more going on here that seems in league with the phenomena as opposed to a one-off I don't know if I buy one-offs, you know. I don't know what that what that would be, other than, like I said before, that this thing tends to troll uh, every once in a while, well, and certainly now you can hear you know. people saying, "What about Travis Walton?" But remember, folks, well, I uh, didn't answer the question. <laughs> I, well, that's true. You number didn't one, the question about whether or not he, ha- <laughs> if he had further experiences, he said he wouldn't say that he did or not. So but that's true. But now, now let's. Let's look at it as if that question was never asked, okay? Put all that aside. That event changed his life completely. I'm willing to bet if you asked him, would he have thought about any of this stuff had he not had that experience? His answer would be no. He'd be out there breaking his back every day for his family in the woods cutting trees. It's changed his life. It's changed the way his thought process work. Uh, I'm sure that he's pondered that for decades uh, everything that he saw and experienced, questioned himself, um, and now questions our universe, uh, our reality, all of that. Now, he clearly said he didn't see it in any sort of paranormal sense. He saw it in a, in a real sense. And, you know, just as Bruce said tonight, you know, everybody, you're right. It, for you, it was an absolutely real event that happened. And I believe it did happen to him, physically happened to him. Um, on the other side of the flip, it could have been random space travelers <laughs> who, in fact, did pick up Travis and then bring him back after a certain amount of study. He may be one of the only people on this planet that's had that experience of that sort of thing happening with real extraterrestrial beings. My question would be, why in the hell does it look so much like tandem weirdness that is reported elsewhere? That's my question. So, you know, did he dance too close to the fairy ring? Is that what happened there? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know if there was any lore to those woods. Certainly. Um, and I also wonder, and we'll have to ask Bruce this when next we have him on, um, it seems you, you'd mentioned the Indrid Cold thing. Um, yeah. His experiences do seem to smack of that style of high strangeness, that Mothman prophecy sort of stuff. And I wonder... Um, you know, he'd mentioned Robert Anton Wilson as an influence and, and those sorts of thinkers who are all over the place and couch their philosophy in everything from conspiracy theories to, you know, household recipes, let's say. I mean, just everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I assume then that 
because he's attracted to that type of thinking, he thinks like that. He's all over the place. Uh, so I wonder, um, did he start having those types of high strangeness ex- experiences and then become attracted to those authors, or was it the other way around? Did did they influence and shape the way he experienced this thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, if he were to read a Hopkins or Ray Fowler, any any you know sort of normal quote unquote normal research, uh, would that influence what he's experiencing? Mm. Do you think that that influences what you you experience? I mean, you you said that you never really read any of the abduction literature. No. Uh-uh. Uh, did you read anything that you can think would influence your experience? I mean, ah. outside of religious stuff when you thought it was demons or whatever. Uh, although yeah. I guess that counts, right? If I, I don't know that you actually read the Bible or or anything. No, I, really I, I didn't. I didn't. Anything? I mean, anything that you were watching on TV or or reading that that this started to take the shape of. The only thing that I can think of is communion, and it was a little late for it to influence anything because it was already happening years before that. So that was just kind of like what gave it legs to me to go, oh, well, there it is. That's it. That's what I'm talking about. That's it right there. (laughs) You know, communion pretty much did that. And I know I'm not the only one that, you know, was at that point where you've got weird stuff, but you can't categorize it into anything. And nothing seems to make all that much sense. And you do have a certain interest in paranormal stuff. But, you know, it's like one of the, you know, my grandmom told me that stuff was all nonsense. I mean, I was told by, you know, my dad and that stuff's nonsense. And uh, you don't know whether to believe any of that and so on and so forth. So I was always brought up to be really um, critical and skeptical of that kind of stuff. Um, Were you aware of uh, the Betty and Barney Hill incident? No. Uh-uh. Were you aware of any abduction literature before Streber? Uh, no. Because I just Mm-mm. wonder. Um, since- I, I, I thought it was crap. I mean, what right. I did hear was on sightings, and I remember, I remember saying to Lisa, we were together at the time. I remember saying to her, "Yeah, this is just one step past." You know, I saw a UFO. Now it's these people have been on them. I mean, the reason I ask is um, because so many people have had that Streber moment that I wonder if any of them were aware of abduction literature before. I mean, were they familiar with Betty and Barney Hill? Were they familiar with any of it? Uh, or was Streber their first foray into this stuff? And if they were familiar with it, what was it with, you know, Streber that they connected with um, over anything else? Hmm. I think for me, it was just the weirdness of it. I mean, he just described it so well. And certainly, I mean, the face, even though it's not it's not right in the sense that that's it perfectly. It's not right, but it's there's something about it. I mean, there's just something about it that is, um, you know, provocative to thought. And and you you have this weird recognition of it, but you can't quite figure out why. And I'm certainly open to. Anybody telling me, well, it's a, uh, you know, it's very skull-like, and so you know, blah blah blah. I, I'm, I'm at least a smile. Yeah, well, um, I don't know. There's just something about that that cover that, um, and there's been a couple other ones that, and one of them was a hoax that really upset me. And everybody's probably seen it by now. It's that gray that's got its, its face really close up. It's a digital manipulation of just somebody's photograph. But it's a real close-up shot, and years ago, years ago, it was uh, posted in uh, on different websites across the net when the net was still very young, and it was posted in uh, 
in in sections. It was chopped up and then posted a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there. And then you went to these different sites and you you found them and um, put them together and it made this picture. And uh, I remember seeing that for the first time and that really set me off. I mean, that really like resonated. The look of that just seemed so perfect um, at the time. I look at it now, it doesn't have that effect. But... Um, I don't. I don't know. I've not seen anything that's been a hundred percent perfect, but maybe again, it's uh, if if there was a flesh and blood thing like this that held its appearance like we do, then and it was appearing to all of these people throughout their lives and and or randomly. Uh, I think we have a, a solid definition of what it looks like. I think that you know visual acuity would let you recognize what is it. And I think the very fact that we can't put our fingers on a visualization of this thing and say, that's perfect, that's exactly it, and everyone agree, means that it appears slightly different to everyone. You know, that's the way I always took that. It's like, well, this is not, you know, a flesh and blood thing. This is something that, you know, appears to different people in slightly different ways. And, um, you know, and so there is no absolute visual for that. Very good. Well, Jeff, we're about out of time. So, is there anything that you want to that you want to talk about um, before we call it quits? Yeah. So, Jeremy, as we were uh, talking to Bruce, and as he's describing these very bizarre phone calls, you actually got a phone call on your cell phone uh, that you didn't answer. That is and when correct. We got, when we got off the air, and we're not making this up, Jeremy's got it on his phone. When you got off, you. Uh, Listened to the message and heard someone else getting off. Am I right? <laughs> yes, there uh, is a message of a couple of minutes of a, a man masturbating on the phone. Uh, recorded around the time that Bruce is talking about his weird phone calls. Um, and you can clearly hear like what sounds like office chatter in the background, primarily female. Who's doing that in an office? Well, here's the funny thing. <laughs> Um, the phone, so we called back the phone number and it's like, what was it? The university of the Rockies. I don't know. Something like that. It's one of these, every now and then I get this shitty phone call from some fake university trying to get me to sign up and take classes through them. So this was that, uh, and it was a recruiter. (laughs) Clearly, you know what they're teaching. Yeah. Well, so clearly it's somebody who's got like a headset on and either, Either they, they've got an automatic dial thing and he wasn't aware that they connected him through to my voicemail or he thought he had hung up and he's just whacking off to his coworkers because there was no punchline. Oh, there was no even orgasm. There was no oh, it was just this guy beating off until the thing stopped, until the recorder stopped. So, so there you go. There's just my, a, this is the ridiculousness of our lives. I just, you know, West of the Rockies. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! What do you say to that? I don't know. Uh, ha ha. <laughs> so of course, so of course, Jeff Ritzman left a message for the uh, the breather. I did. <laughs> they said when I called up, they said. All of our representatives are currently busy. (laughs) And when I said, I can't imagine what you'd be busy with, but the last man who called on me was very busy, pleasuring himself. (laughs) Please don't call here again. Christ almighty. (sighs) Yeah. 
So there you go. There's your there's your university education. There's what you do, people. Take matters into your own hands. <laughs> and so yeah. ends a pretty good episode of Paratovia. There you go. Trickster and Thank action. you. <laughs> Thank you to Bruce again for coming on the show today. And uh I think uh one of our better interviews, really. I really, really enjoyed that. So Bruce, um thanks for the great work and we look forward to reading your new blog. Uh, which you mentioned, and uh, I can't remember the name of. Which is what, but Jeff? I, 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 I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> it's on the homepage as you're listening. Okay, good. Maybe I'll add it in uh, at the end. That'd be great. All right. Paratopia, Jeff Ritzman, sweet dreams, everybody. Good night. The following ridiculous outtakes are for mature audiences only. Discretion is advised. What? <laughs> yeah, it just goes on for a few minutes. What? What did you say? I don't know what he said there. Uh, you've got to be emailed me this because we got to clean this up. <laughs> I mean, that is like an office in the background, right? It certainly sounds like it. That's the end of it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's got it for whoever's in the next office, and it sounds like a woman talking. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So Bruce Dunzig gets Mothman, and you get Masturbating Man. That's right. <laughs> Good Lord. <sighs> oh, well. I wish we could clean that audio up a little bit to, to hear what they're talking about in the background. Yeah, I know why you want to clean it up. Yeah, wait a minute. Do you have the number itself? Yeah. Oh, well, give me the number. Let me uh, let me try to do this now. <laughs> what are you gonna do? I'm gonna call the number. <laughs> what do you think I'm gonna do? Are you crazy? One <laughs> six. You still got recorder going, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, two seven. Oh, there it is. Okay, here we go. Get ready. All right. Thank you for calling University of the Rockies. Calls may be monitored or recorded for quality assurance. To speak with an enrollment advisor, please press 1. To yeah. speak to someone in the financial services department, press 2. Wow. To speak... Did you just press 2? 1. <laughs> what are you going to say? I do not understand that request.
Thank you for calling University of the Rockies. Hold on. Calls may be monitored or recorded for quality assurance. To speak with an enrollment advisor, please press 1. To speak to someone... Your call is being forwarded to a Shortel voicemail system. <laughs> Thank you for calling University of the Rockies Enrollment Department. We are unable to take your call at this time. Please leave your name, contact number, and a brief message. I got and it. And we will return you your call it? as soon as possible. All right. Is not available. Please leave a message at the tone. When finished, you may hang up or press pound for additional options. Yes, my name is uh, Jeff. I'm calling from New York City, Queens, as a matter of fact. I see you're all, I don't know, somehow indisposed. I got a message on my phone that you had called, so I'm returning your call. However, the man on the phone seemed to be taking matters into his own hands as I listened ruefully from the other end. That's right, he was masturbating. Kindly don't call me again. Goodbye. <laughs>